This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 49, John DiCarlo, Declan Landis with me again as we continue to just build podcast chemistry together. It's like running routes together, throwing in the off season. Kyle, yeah, we're going to be Kobe and Shaq by October. Which one do you want to be? You Shaq? I always saw myself as a Shaq, yeah. I'm Kobe, so I'm technically, oh, God rest his soul. But No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm dead. Not at all. <laughs> no. So we're Kobe and Shaq. I don't know. Javon might have something to, to say about that. Um, I couldn't think of anybody else. That was the first thing that came to <laughs> my head. Kyle's on, uh, Kyle's on vacation. Kyle's in the Outer Banks right now. Kyle come back eventually and say, don't tell anybody about my whereabouts, even though he's his wife is posting on social media. Wonderful family vacation they're having down there. Ramir's working. Johnny, who knows where Johnny is? Johnny's getting some time off after the, the Phillies are in Chicago. Yeah. Some so, well-deserved time, though. Yeah. I mean, you know. At some point, he's got to come into work, but you know he'll get there someday. Um, what's going on, buddy? Have you have you been? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, been busy this week. Just you know, I'm working. I'm doing an unpaid gig um, at a local athletic training facility, and I've been building a website for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I give a lot of credit to people that do that for a living because it is. It's tough. It's a lot of hours, a lot of like tedious details that you wouldn't think about just going on a website that mm-hmm. you have to plan and like make look good. Uh, so that's been brutal. But I, uh, you know, on the flip side, I started Succession, which I had heard was one of the best shows on television. I watch this um, show, Succession. Everybody's talking about it. What it, What is it about? It's on HBO Max, which is now Max. HBO oh, Max? Yeah, it's actually Max now, you know, and uh, they're sponsored by Deets and Watson. So take from that what you want. But it's a great show. Great show. Uh, yeah, I'm like midway through season two. You, have you watched it? Oh, yeah. Watched all of it. So you're midway through season two. Without spoiling it too much, I just got past the episode where um, the pigs are out and uh Okay. You know, they're they're with the sausage. You okay. Know. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? The yeah, dinner party? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so you have you have managed to not watch it yet at this point and not managed to like save yourself from spoilers. Like you don't know how it ends. Correct. Yes. Okay. Which is That's wild. Good. Who's your favorite? I know character? the one meme. My favorite character. Oh, it's tough. I love Wom Scams right now. I just yeah. think he's funny. Mm-hmm. And uh and Greg. I think Greg's good. Yeah, too. Greg's fantastic. Yes. Like remind, yes. there's a little bit of Greg in in all of our friends in some way, shape, or form. But he just, I don't know. Those actors are brilliant. Yeah, it's good. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. Like just the drama and everything. Like oh, but I I just finished. I don't know if you've seen this one, Barry. I finished Barry like a like a couple weeks ago. I, and I couldn't imagine watching them on the same night like weeks in a row for four years. I, I think every time I say this out loud, I have Todd Zalecki's voice in my head because we've been friends for a long time and he imitates me as the guy who, and it's true, like I need to stick with shows and stuff because I dislike them. I haven't seen Barry and he'll, he'll imitate me and say, buddy, you know, I got it. There's this great show I got to get into. It's called, uh, it's, it's from when we were growing up friends Real popular, <laughs> Jen Addison, Courtney Cox, Matthew Perry. Not sure if you've seen it, buddy. And then there's there's um, you know, Cheers. This this about a, about a show in Bo- uh, this bar in Boston and Night Court and <laughs> this guy Alex P. Keaton family ties. I gotta get into it, buddy. Just haven't made the time for it. So, um, yeah, actually, I've seen all of Succession. Have not seen Barry. I I love Bill Hader. I mean, I love all of his comedic stuff. I, I, I've heard he's brilliant and Barry just haven't. Yeah, have you got to get into it. Do yourself I a favor. Have to go back and finish out um, uh, Ted Lasso. Uh, but yeah, I'm the worst at sticking with shows sometimes. I'm also the worst at 
um, walking into the room and interrupting my wife with questions when she's watching something. Um, there's, I don't know if you've seen any of Bear on, uh, it's, um, oh, come on, what's his name? Jeremy Allen White, who was in uh, Shameless. Um, and it's a, he's, oh, he's a chef. Yeah, that's the cooking show, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there was just recently this episode where he's part of an Italian family. And there's this huge scene where it's played like the majority of the actors are not Italian. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is his mom. Um, John Mulaney is, I believe, his brother. Um, Sarah Paulson's in it. And I had seen this episode or part of this episode in the scene. And we were both kind of like dozing off on the couch a couple of nights ago. And then so I come back and kind of like parachute in and I'm asking her about it. I was like, and that's so-and-so, right? And she pauses it and turns to me and she's like, you're, you're doing it again. If I ever <laughs> came to you during an Eagles game and was like, uh, what formation are they in? Are they winning? What's Jalen Hurts' favorite color? And she was like, you, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't, what do you want me to say? You're, you're right. I'm wrong. You know, so, uh. Yeah, I got to do a better job <laughs> of sticking with shows. But yeah, Succession, got through all of Succession. Um, have not seen any of Barry, but I would I would like to. I've heard it's incredible. Yes, you should. You should. Especially now when like there's time to watch it and digest it and like binge it. Like that's, mm -hmm. this is the perfect time for you. It's, you're going to love it. I, I give you credit because like you'll, I'll give you a recommendation. You're like, okay, I'm going to go watch it. And like you watch Toy Married Nax Murder, which- <laughs> That's not even your generation. That's like right in my wheelhouse is like, you know, guy that went to high school and college in the nineties. And you were like, I watched it. Ray Dunn's like that too. Like Ray will prepare. I think Anthony Gargano at the fanatic. Now that Ray's working with the fanatic, I think, didn't he ask Ray to watch like the last boy scout? And then Ray came back the next day with notes and Gargano. Yes. What? I'm impressed, buddy. I'm impressed. God, it's great. You know, it's, that's my day. And now he's got his own show on Sundays. You know, it's that yeah. kind of, you know, Somebody tells you to do something, you do it. You know, guys like us, I, uh, we take well to that. Yeah, I, I may or may not have uh, thrown a little zinger at Ray because Gargano's out for three weeks. So Ray is producing, he's producing Andrew Salchunas and, um, and Jamie this week or over the next three weeks. And Andrew and Jamie were talking about um, just like little like techniques, like when you're single, like, walking a dog in a public setting in a park and like to try to get attention. And I just texted Andrew. I said, ask Ray how bitter he was before he met Lexi. Because when, before he met his girlfriend, he was like anti Valentine's day and woe was me. And he was putting all that stuff on social media and I did it just to be funny. And then just, I didn't expect uh, Andrew Salchunas to read. He's like, I just got a text from John DeCarlo. I was like, Oh boy. And then Ray said, wow, Carlo's coming from my throat right before the end of the show. So <laughs> Ray's, a, Ray's a good sport. He's good. Yes. Sport. You got to love that you can just impact a radio show like that uh, in a top five media market. They're you know, pretty just... laid back guys. I mean, Andrew Salchunas is great. Um, Jamie's great. No, I just think it's funny. The connections is what I mean. You know, yeah. Temple made. That oh, you yeah. could just text two hosts on the 97.5 show and they're reading your text on air. Yeah. They're, it's so... got to feel good. Ray's doing, I know they love Ray there. So um, famous number 49s. Yes. What, what have you Googled for us this week? <laughs> I didn't Google this one. Tremaine Edmonds played mm -hmm. for the Bills, which is how I remembered that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all I got. So best of luck to you in carrying this segment uh, <laughs> because I've been trying to do better about not Googling, but best this is the one week you, I should have Googled. Yours. Um, there are probably a, a ton that I'm forgetting. There are two baseball guys that stand out to me. There's Jamie Moyer, the ageless wonder who pitched well into his 40s. When did he wear 49? I thought he, I think he wore 49 with the Phillies. I thought he did. I, I, I thought he was 50 because I was going to save him for next week and call him Uncle Jamie. Uh, okay, now I got to double check this. I could be wrong. I did not fact check this. Jamie. Oh, well, hold on. I have my jersey in my closet. I what can look. I'm pretty sure it's 50. What a professional I am right now. Did he change it halfway through his tenure, maybe? Well, he wore, he also pitched for the Cubs. He pitched for the Mariners. That's true. Um, Rockies. Hold on. 
Um, he also pitched in St. Joe's. I forgot about that. Oh, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, he pitched right. at Satterton Area High School. Yes, he did. Um, yes, my dad was in his class for it. At least there maybe, at the same time. Maybe oh, this is so. This is so bad. I'm literally googling. I swear, I thought of him as a 49, and maybe I'm wrong. When did Jamie Moyer wear 49? I don't know. I'll go back. I swear he wore 49 for somebody. He could have, John. He could have. Um, two others I can think of: Lee Arthur Smith, a former Lee Smith closer for the Cubs. Harry Callis used to call him Lee Arthur Smith. And then Tim Wakefield as a guy who, like, I've been a Phillies fan and a Pirates fan over the years, but I love those pirate uh, pirate teams in the late 80s, mid 90s, or early 90s. He was a knuckleballer, pitched for the Pirates. I mean, almost single-handedly helped them win a series against the Braves, and he just didn't get quite enough pitching help there. So, but yeah, beyond that, again, I'm sure there are a ton that were, oh, you got another one? I've got one. This is going to sound really sus because you, you know, we're talking about pitchers and I swear I didn't Google this. I just thought of it. The man that single-handedly uh, we, you know, was supposed to be the ace. I feel like on some teams and then just drained money out of the Phillies. Jake Arrieta. Oh, I yeah. believe was 49. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but. I'm pretty sure that's maybe right. he was, but yeah, he certainly... I'll, I'll double check. I'll double check, but I'm pretty certainly, sure. Uh, right. Yeah, certainly was was draining. That would be. Uh, yes. I mean, obviously, at one point in his career, was very very good, but yeah, he didn't quite live up to that with the Phils. What do you got? Did he? Did he work forty nine? There we go. All right, I'm gonna make it Thank my you. quest. That does sound a little dramatic, but I think I think I might make it my quest to find a time in Jamie Moyer's life when he wore number 49. If not, maybe I'll doctor. He might have been gym class when my dad was hitting, you know, 500 foot nukes off of him and slow pitch softball, but he was to ask him, you know, that's stories he likes to tell. Really? I, I, I wasn't there. Well, they were in the same high school. So, you know, there would be no way of knowing. Your dad went to Souderton high school? To... Yes, he did. Uh, you you know what? It's dawning on me now that you told me that and I forgot. So <laughs> I'm a terrible friend. It's okay. I did say it five minutes ago on the air, but it's all right. I know you said it. I know. Well, you said he went to Souderton High School. I know Jamie Moyer went to Souderton High School. I forgot that your dad went to Souderton High School. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. yes. If you're a Temple fan, I'm sure this is exactly what you came to this podcast for. Uh, if you're a Temple fan, you probably love Jamie Moyer. Let's be real. Because how could you not? You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, let's see. 49, here you go. 1986 to 88 with the Chicago Cubs. Okay. So his first okay. two years. All right. And then after that, he was... I thought he wore it at some point, whether it was there or whether it was with uh, with the Seattle Mariners. So there we there go. There you go. Just took Killed us that. There. Hey, that. you know. Did not Good exactly segment. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Scoop, as always, is brought to you by Greenspan and Greenspan. Injury lawyers, if you have been injured while on the road or the highway in the crash with someone else's fault, the insurance company is not going to be on your side. You need us, Temple Law grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in PA or New York, call us today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. Once again, that's greenspans-law.com. We got an interview for you guys today with uh, Ben Osweke, a junior college cornerback who joined Temple mid-year, was part of the 2023 class from Texas, played at Blinn Junior College. And, you know, by all indications, I, I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier today. I feel like Stan Drayton dropped his name at least once or twice. Obviously, he was asked about Ben, you know, when they were talking about their 2023 recruiting class. And I feel like his name might've come up a couple of times here and there um, during spring ball. And, you know, with Cam Ruiz moving on, you know, he's got some guys that he can certainly contend with it, you know, wherever he ends up what on the field, whether it's out an outside guy, field corner, boundary corner, slot guy, um, you know, Elijah Clark coming back, Dominique kills coming back. Corey Palmer's coming back. You had a couple new guys, coming into the fold, but 
know, we asked him and you'll, you'll hear this in a little bit. We asked him like, there's, there's an opportunity for there to, uh, an, excuse me, an opportunity for you to compete there. So, um, he was a terrific interview as you'll hear here, super talkative, really insightful, uh, really interesting life came over in third grade, as you'll hear him say from Nigeria, uh, he's one of five kids, right? Smack dab in the middle. And Declan, you were connecting with him and saying, I'm, I'm one of five. I'm the oldest of five. And um, just a real joy to talk to here. And a, and a guy that I think the Owls are going to be really counting on this season. And, uh, you know, talk to us a, a little bit about EJ Warner, guys on both sides of the ball, where he's improved, why he came to Temple, and a uh, little bit of everything here, what what it's like playing forever, where there is what it's like playing for Dominique Bowman, his position coach. Um, just a lot of fun stuff that we got into here. So we'll play this interview for you, and then we'll have more for you on the other side. Ben Osweke is with us on the scoop this week, Temple's cornerback, one of Temple's cornerbacks. Uh, ben, thanks for doing this, buddy. How you doing? What's going on? Uh, doing good. Nothing much. Just, you know, getting ready for the season, big season ahead. Ben, sitting here on, on June 29th, we're a little more than a month away from the start of preseason camp right now. Tell us and tell our listeners what workouts are like for you guys right now. Obviously, it's not it's not camp, but you know, pretty much the full roster is there. You guys are in the building. Tell our listeners what you guys can do and what you can't do at this point. Um, right now, we could do a little bit of um, – so right now, we're going hard with the running, make sure we're in shape for camp and to get through – I mean, we plan – I don't know – what everybody outside the building plan is, but we plan to play 12 games plus more. So we're trying to get in that shape physically and mentally. And um, we're kind of, three days out the week, we're kind of taking time to work on the football stuff. So we're kind of not only working on the aspect of getting stronger, faster, and in better conditioning shape, but also we're finding our tools, getting in our playbook, going just going over the playbook again, because, you know, we didn't have our full roster in the spring, so we really have to really get in the playbook and really make sure we have the freshmen and the newcomers all set and ready to go for a better time for our campers around. Ben, what did, what did the spring do for you just in terms of, you know, that was the second time you moved schools. Obviously, you, you went to a junior college, played well there for two seasons, then you come in as a mid-year guy. I mean, it might sound like the obvious question, but how much did it mean to you to, to come to Temple mid-year and, and get – spring ball under your belt what did that do for you just in terms of your development and your understanding of things man I think I think it did wonders for me honestly just to kind of fill everything out kind of just get used to it um as you mentioned I came from junior college yes it's college football but it's not d1 football mm -hmm. and I think I'm playing very high level football here at Temple very good competition level so kind of just getting adjusted to that type of speed and kind of just getting adjusted to also the code too you know, mm -hmm. coming from Houston, Texas, you don't really experience too much of this uh, cold weather. So kind of getting adjusted to that to see what it's like to be able to play in, in, in December in Philly. And also a very big thing, just getting adjusted to my teammates and just getting that playbook early and just giving me a chance to really see how everything is and really come here and compete for a spot and to compete to help this team out. Well, I guess you got the humidity back, right? I don't know if this is like <laughs> Houston humidity, but it's, you know, it's pretty gross, you know, pretty pretty uh sweltering right yeah just a little bit you know um in that cornerback room obviously everybody raves about Jalen mcmurray and he's he's still getting better as a player and then you know i'd have to think beyond him i mean obviously every coach is going to say co there's competition at every position but i would have to think it's kind of a wide open competition beyond that you got elijah clark coming back dominic kill coming back Corey palmer some young guys coming in where do you think you fit into that? I mean, I know a lot of times you guys kind of get cross-trained to do a lot of things. Do they see you as more of an outside guy? They see you as a slot? Like, what can you tell us about there? Obviously, knowing that there's still a lot of preseason camp left ahead of us. Yeah, honestly, I just feel like, like you said, it's a lot of talented guys coming back, like Elijah, like um, Dom Hill, and obviously Jalen Murray coming off a of freshman All-American year. But with the new addition of our, our new cornerbacks coach, uh, Coach Bowman, he's from day one as he stepped in the building. He's, he's always been a fair guy pitching competition. But the same guy just uplifting each other and making each other better. So I just think we're really like, honestly, in my opinion, and I don't know about anybody else on the team, but I feel like we're one of the best position groups on the team just because if one guy goes down, God forbid, another one could, another one could roll in with no drop-off. So... I just feel like we just have that depth and just trusting each other and just we just know to compete with each other. 
So I just feel like we're one of the best women, not only in this conference, but in the nation. Ben, we've already talked about him a little bit, but Jalen's name is brought up a lot as a single-digit guy, and he got that single-digit early in his year or in his career. What's your relationship like with him, and, and what do you see in him that fits him for that leadership and that single-digit role? Man, uh, Jalen, that's my guy. Um, we kind of just clicked off that um, ever since I, I came to, to Temple, and we kind of just talk about the big things that we plan to do as a uh, of, um a position group for the for the new season man he's just one of those leaders that's just going to tell you how it is like he doesn't sugarcoat anything like he every guy could come to him I've seen the freshmen coming to him asking them questions and he just he's just that guiding hand to everything like I, li- I like to say but I like to say that some schools have those people who think they're better than everybody but Jalen knows he's that guy of, co- of course and he has that competitive edge about himself but he also is one of those guys that relates to people maybe <laughs> that not a single digit or a freshman or people who might not be on the travel squad. Like everybody feels like they could come to him. Like I, I see him getting along with walk-ons, talking to everybody in the building. So that's just the type of guy he is. And I don't think he's ever going to change no matter when he goes to the league or what number is on his back. I don't think that changes who he is. And you mentioned he's a guy that, that pushes you to get better as well. Is there an area where you think you've improved since coming to Temple? You know, like your footwork, ball skills, anything like that? Is there something that sticks out to you? Man, um, not only him, but my coach, Coach Woman, is just a big, big harp on technique. I feel like my technique has gotten better. I feel like I've gotten faster, stronger. I've added on weight. And I just feel like I'm more confident going into this fall season than I was going into spring. So I just feel like, like one area I'll say for sure I've improved in is just kind of just knowing the playbook and trusting myself and to be able to play fast in this system. I guess that's always important, right, <laughs> for fitting in. But kind of um, on that same track, you know, this maybe didn't affect you as much, but uh, mm-hmm. in the offseason, the team lost DJ Elliott as the defensive coordinator to the Eagles, and now Everett Weathers comes back as the defensive coordinator I think a lot of the guys have said that not much has changed with the scheme or the playbook. Did that affect you at all as, as you were coming in as the newer guy or did it not as much because you were working more closely with uh, with Coach Bowman, like you mentioned? Um, I would say it affected me just because I had a strong relationship relationship with Coach Elliott because he's one of the, the reasons I did come here. So that, I feel like that that he wouldn't – him leaving did affect me. But like we say in Temple, Wool is happy when people move on and get better jobs because that's what we want to do. Obviously, all the guys want to make to the NFL and stuff like that. So when people move on and get better jobs and kind of just go into a new chapter in their life, we, we congratulate them and be happy for them. And um, But I would say the, this, the scheme has stayed the same. Coach Woodard is a great DC. I mean, you could just look at the track record. record it speaks for itself. So I don't think there's really any drop-off as far as, like, us being one of the best defenses in the country. Obviously, we will miss Coach Elliott and his presence in the building, but I just feel like Coach Willis, I mean, like I said, the track record, he could, he's going to do very good at the job. And then kind of focusing on Coach Bowman, can you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with him? You know, he's considered to be one of the better young assistants in college football. And he seems to be pretty energetic and, and hands-on in terms of teaching technique. Like you mentioned, you've improved big time mm-hmm. in that. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, day in, day out with Coach Bowman and and, uh, you know, how does he compare to other coaches you've had? Um, I feel like he, he's one of the – actually the best – one of the best coaches I've had uh, as far as my football career goes. Not only on, but off the field. Like, he just keeps it real and just let us know that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but we have to push through. Like, and then he just always preaches – like I, like I was telling you all, he always preaches competition. Like, nothing's going to be easy. He doesn't want to give nothing in the room out. Like, even Jalen McMurray, who's a freshman American, he told him as soon as he came in, you're going to have to work. And Jalen responded uh, well during the spring. And he's just the type of guy that also came in and said that everybody has a clean slate with me. No matter what you did last season, I'm here to, to see what y'all could do. And I feel like everybody's just improved as he walked into the room. Like, he's just high energy. And, and he could relate to everybody, to where everybody just latches on to him. Like, he doesn't do a lot of cussing. Now, I haven't heard him cuss one time at us or yell at us one time just because everybody relates to him and we just have that respect for him because he knows what he's talking about. He knows so much in the game that he, when he talks, you just have to stop and listen so you can really soak in that knowledge. So I just think he his energy just and his aura just brings us someone that we needed in, in this in this program. 
Ben, take us back to why you chose Temple uh, coming out of Blinn Junior College in Texas. I think you had offers somewhere along the way. You had, I think, SMU, Hawaii, Rice, USF, Colorado State. You had some offers. You had some options. What, what at the end of the day, why did you choose Temple? What was your recruitment like and why did they stand out above everybody else? Uh, my recruitment, it was fun, honestly. You hear a lot of kids these days talk about it was stressful. Obviously, there is a stressful part, just making sure you have everything right. But I feel like it was more stressful uh, to my part because I have um, two uh, two years to play three. And I kind of wanted to make the right thing. Like me, I don't plan on leaving. I don't plan on transferring. So I just wanted to make the best decision I can to know somewhere I could come in, not only get better for myself, but also win. Um, I chose Temple, honestly, just big relationship guy. Like I just feel like I was needed. I was wanted here. That was the big driving force. And it kind of preached family. Like, as you know, Temple is not, the one with Temple is not a school with flash and all this money and then we taking pictures and Lamborghinis. No, they but they they you see the real. They keep it real. They keep it authentic and I like that. They they told us, hey, we don't have what Georgia has or any other school has, but we're we're gonna work and we're gonna win here. And I kind of when I committed here, I, I asked Coach Drayton, what's his plan? Like, cause I wanted to know how you plan to turn this this school around to where it was before. And he kind of walked me through that plan, and, and it, it kind of fueled me, and I got goosebumps from just talking to him. And I, and that uh, ever since we had a conversation, I committed, and I've been committed ever since to the process, and just just giving everything I got. What did he? What was that conversation like? I mean, can you let us in on that? What did he say in terms of his plan? Obviously, he's been around winning. He's he's coached Bijan Robinson. He recruited him. He's been around. You know, he's been around Zeke Elliott, Carlos Hyde at Ohio State. He recruited years ago, he recruited Brian Westbrook to Villanova. And like, we know the good players he's been around. He's been around big time programs. So when he said to you, here's how I plan to turn around the program, what does that look like? What could you tell our listeners about that? Man, because um, Jane just keeps it real. He just wants hardworking guys. He wants hard-nosed football players that want to be here, that want to work. That's not here for the money or for the for this or that, but just wants to win. He wants to create, like, we have a thing called tough. You know what I'm saying? So he wants to create, he wants to, the T's for toughness, is used for unselfishness, the S. I mean, the F is for family and the F is for finish. So he wants us to, to really put that ingrained every time we do it. So he wants us to be tough. He wants us to want to win for each other, not for ourselves. So it was kind of a conversation like, why do you want to win? Why do you want to come here? Like, he... He even got away from the football aspect and even talking about developing the whole man about getting a degree. Because let's be real and realistic, not everybody's going to make it to the NFL. So his his big thing was like, you're going to go to class. <laughs> you're going to get that degree. And that that's that's my number one goal for you to graduate. And he kind of preached on us having a 3.0 GPA, which we did hit this last semester during the spring. So he the thing that really attracted me in that conversation was him not only talking about him winning, and bringing in the guys that needed to win. As you can see, we've added a lot of ammunition to the roster and creating depth, not in the position, but depth to where one guy falls in, another guy can replace, but also building a whole man. And then even going back in before that, you played four seasons at Foster High School, not too far outside of Houston. Did you enroll at Blinn just to kind of get more exposure with your recruitment? I mean, what was that like? Because, again, like there's a lot of good high school football in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Florida, Texas is like a whole other beast down there. And again, there are really a lot of good players. What did you, did you go the Juco route because you felt like I want to kind of get a, a little extra exposure. Can you like walk us through that? What was your decision to go Juco before you came to temple? Um, yeah. So my decision to go Juco was, it had a lot, a lot to do with um, me getting injured early in my uh, senior season mm -hmm. and kind of that, Cutting short because we lost the second round of playoffs before I could come back. But another reason, just kind of seeing that not a lot of schools wanted me, and then kind of COVID kind of affected it. Yeah, kind of affected a lot of my recruiting. So I was just like, I know I had that confidence in myself that if I go to JUCO, I can, I will get an offer. So it was just the kind of thing like just put my head down and, and just for two years and kind of just go to where I wanted. I want. I want. I want to be. I want to play. And who wants me? who actually needs me in their program, not who would tolerate me. So that I, was a big... Yeah, I was going to ask you about the injury and COVID. I mean, it probably... Like, what was it like as as a young kid to go through that? Because, you know, like, you're going through COVID that that changed the whole world, and, and football is a big piece of who you are. You have a global pandemic and then the injury. And like you said, with recruiting, it's a competitive thing. Like, 
just as a human being, was it tough to go through that to say like, I know I'm better than I am. And I don't, because of the injury, I don't have as much on tape. And yeah, I, like, what was it like? Did you know you wanted to go Juco right away? Or were you thinking of like, maybe I'll just go here just to get the scholarship or try to walk on? Was that, how tough was that? My senior, my senior season was tough. I, I mean, I, I I wanted that spring bad because I, I felt like I had a lot of things coming and I felt my path would have been different if I did have that spring going into my senior year. But, you know, God has different plans. And when it kind of happened, I just I was just praying that we had a season. You know, some states didn't have a season. But thankfully, Texas was one of them states who did have a season. And I kind of went to that season like this is all or nothing. Like, and I gave it my all and I was and I was working, grinding. So when I did get hurt, it kind of crushed me. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about walk-on opportunities. And um, Juco kind of popped into my head. To, to the fact that I could just go somewhere for two years and kind of be who I am and don't have to sit somewhere else and then don't be wanted. Mm-hmm. So I was, I just, and Ryan, Coach Ryan Mahon came to me and it was just, it was just work from there. Mm-hmm. Then going back even before that, you were born in Nigeria, correct? Yes, sir. Now, when did you, when did you come over to the States? Were you a young kid or was it a little bit later in your life? No, I came over here uh, in third grade, so kind of eight, nine. Okay. And what was, tell us, what was that like? What was that transition like? Uh, it was different, honestly, just being a young kid from Africa. You don't really see too much. You don't really see a lot of diversity racially and everything. You don't really experience a lot of things. All I knew was me, my mom, and my sister back in um, Africa to come into this big world and seeing all these kids and all this, and this big school and all this vehicles and everybody having cars and stuff like that. It was, it was different. But I adjusted because I met people that helped me adjust along the way. And what made you guys come over? Was it a job? Was it an opportunity? Just a different, like, just to, to change? What Take us through that. So honestly, my, my dad had been here since he uh, since I was born. So he's always okay. been here. And he kind of just was building the, the building, building a stone. So me and my sister could later come and, and get a good education. And that, that's what my dad had always preached about us, getting a good education and kind of just bettering our life. So he's been he was been working hard ever since I was born to kind of just get us here to really better our life. Cause you know, it's it's from coming from where we come from in Nigeria, it's hard to to not, not live from check to check. Mm-hmm. I'm I would have to assume that you get a lot of your work ethic just from like what you've seen from your family, I would think. Yes, sir. Was definitely and and most of it. Some of it is just fueling, like for my injury and stuff like that, from from missed opportunities and things of that nature. And you're one of you're one of five in your family. Yes, sir. Are you where where do you rank? Are you the oldest, the youngest, somewhere in between? I'm right in the middle, unfortunately. You're the middle kid. So, what, what's that like? What's it like growing up one of five and and being the being the middle child? Ah, Lord. Um, they had the they had the youngest two uh kind of later when I was in high school, but it was fun. It's, it's a lot of personalities, a lot of things going on, big family. Like you have to come downstairs eat first, or like you're not eating sometimes. So things things <laughs> of that <laughs> things of that nature. But honestly, it it was fun just having a lot of people in the house, just a lot of people to talk to and relate to you that's been through everything. Like you know when your sisters go to high school, you, now it's your turn to go to high school. So you even use some of the same textbook and things like that. And they give you all these advice on the teachers and everything like that. So I'm, I'm glad I had people who went through it so I could I know what to be prepared for, especially as someone coming from a foreign country. I know what to expect. Ben, when you mentioned that, I'm the oldest of five too. So I, <laughs> <laughs> when you said about getting downstairs first, I totally felt that. <laughs> but um, kind of switching gears. Uh, you mentioned you came over to the States in third grade. When did you start playing football? I actually started playing football very late. I started playing football in seventh grade. Six, yeah, seventh grade, actually. I started playing running back. I just kind of was just doing it just to do it because they didn't have any soccer in middle school. So I was just like, let me just do something. And I just fell in love with it around high school time. And when did that switch to cornerback take place? Did you always play? You know, did you play on both sides of the ball? How did that you know, how did that work? Yes, yeah, so I was playing both sides of the ball seventh and eighth grade, but ninth grade is really when I uh, started. I played corner most of the time. I mean, I wasn't very good, but you know, I played it. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then tenth grade is really when I, I started becoming uh, becoming owned and really learning more about the position and really learning more about football. So I, I feel like that's when it switched to where it's like, okay, you're playing defense, you're not catching no more touchdowns. So that that's what when it happened. 
And was that kind of your choice or did coaches move you to cornerback? How did that work? Um, it was kind of my choice. I just like doing a lot of research and kind of trying to learn about football. Obviously, I'm, I was self-taught. I didn't play no Pokemon. My parents didn't play football or anything like that. So I had to really teach myself most of the stuff, most of the rules. I kind of just fell in love with just the position, just watching guys like Jalen Ramsey, um, Tredavious White, all those guys, J.C. Horn. I kind of just fell in love with the position, honestly. That's awesome. Um, so now, you know, kind of changing subject a little bit. So now all of the February recruits have enrolled in school and you pretty much have the completed roster in the building. Now you're sort of a new guy to begin with in that you came mid year. Uh, but are there any other new recruits who have kind of caught your eye or, or guys you've bonded with based on how they carry themselves in the, in the field or in the building? Yes. So I'm, I'm very, I'm a very simple guy. Like I first, first I like to observe people and see how they are when it's time to work. That's the first thing. I got to see what type of guy so I can see if I could be friends with you because you want to keep yourself around the same minded people. And I kind of like guys like Caleb Barnett and uh, Daryl Sweeting. Like those are hardworking guys who who came into mindset with, I don't care if Jalen McMurray, Ben Osweke, Elijah Clark, Dominic Hill is here. I'm here to compete. And we need that in the room. Guys want to play early. Guys want to help. Guys want to contribute. And kind of guys like, Guys, y'all don't even know about like the walk on. Um, Aaron Anderson came 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 in the program late after trying out, and it's, it's a guy who's committed to making the travel squad. Like I said, we have a lot of guys who want to play and who think they could play. So I feel like those are the guys that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at and bonds that I'm really creating. And another guy I'm sure that works hard as well in the building is Jordan McGee at linebacker, another yes. single digit guy. Um, on your side of the ball on defense, who impresses you in terms of how they play, how they practice, how they carry themselves, you know, similar to him? Man, like you said, Jordan, Jordan is a dog. I mean, he I, I seen it first day of spring. He just kind of popped out to me. I'm like, okay, now I see why he has that single digit on his back. But another guy, <laughs> another guy that impresses me that um, that y'all are about to know in, in a couple months is Taiwan Francis, Duane Black, and Lado and Lado Jordan, along with D, um, DJ Woodbury, who mid mid camp uh, mid spring ball made the switch from outside linebacker to middle linebacker, and in two days was making plays flying around. Another guy, I feel like there's a lot of people that I feel like I'm improving. I'm trying to. I hope I don't hurt nobody feelings or miss anybody. But mm. Brendan Scott. Elijah Derryville, like Elijah Derryville took a big leap and he's one of he's looking like that guy in the middle of the field. Alex Odom, another guy that I feel like was snubbed of all conference till uh, last season. And I feel like it, we're, we're all just ready and hungry to make a big jump, not only personally, but as a team. And then, Ben, on the offensive side of the ball, the guys you go up against, um, I always enjoy getting the defense's perspective on the offense because it's one thing. Games are games, and we can see what goes on in games. But practices, you guys are working on situational stuff. You see the interactions that go that go on, the coaching that goes on. Um, maybe some of the receivers or the tight ends. You know, I don't know if you're you're chasing guys around over the middle of the field. I mean, tight end room looks deep. Wide receiver mm -hmm. room has improved. Who are some of the guys that pop out to you on offense? Um, I would say, I would say the one. Duan mm -hmm. Mathis, a guy that switched from quarterback to receiver. He's mm -hmm. kind of getting into his own and really learning the position and learning how to run, run routes. routes. Obviously, if you have a great quarterback like E.J. Warner really helping you and a coach receiver coach like Coach Williams Jafar, who's really helping him build into that position. And we, we also got another speed star from Colorado State who put up 800 yards as a freshman and, and really has done it at a high level in the Mountain West and Dante Wright. Mm -hmm. So I feel like those two guys are – uh, guys that really give me a hard, not really a hard time. Let me say, let me say that, <laughs> not a hard time, but those two guys are really going to shock the confidence and really take over. You mentioned, you mentioned Duan. He's got like, I mean, he's faced his own adversity in terms of his recruitment. He was kind of like at the opposite end. Like he had this, everybody wanted them. I mean, he had Ohio state, the cream of the crop programs, recruiting him ends up at Georgia and then he had the starting job at Georgia, lost it. I mean, he had a like a he had a brain surgery down there. And then he he transfers to Temple, tries to play quarterback again. That didn't work out. And I think a lot of people were impressed that he stuck around and didn't say, All right, well, if I can't, if I can't play quarterback here, I'm just gonna go somewhere where I can play quarterback. And he's sticking it at wide receiver after having, you know, I'm sure all throughout high school, everybody telling him, You're a five-star guy, you're a blue chip guy. And I think people have been impressed 
with that, that he's, that he's stuck with it. What, what can you tell us about him like off the field? Because he's, he's, he's gone through a lot in life, just, just like you have, and kind of like been humbled in ways that, that weren't always his, his fault, like the injury and stuff like that. And what, what have yeah. you seen from him just working at it at receiver? You kind of gave us a little slice of that, but when you get to know him, what's he like off the field and how has he kind of just really been driven to, to prove people wrong there? Man, I didn't even know he went through all that till I had to read it online. Cause you would ne- you would never see it on his face. Mm-hmm. He comes there smiling, competing, ready to work every day, and we we just we just go at it every practice, honestly. And you could just see him every day. And I and I peep peep little stuff, and I see little stuff. He's just out there, running routes and working releases against a, a trash can. He's on the jugs with Ian Stewart. Like every day, he's constantly doing the things he has to do. And I feel like he was he was born to play receiver. He just figured that a little late. Mm-hmm. But he was always born to play receiver and catch the ball because he's really learning it and he's really loving it. Like, he's enjoying himself. And I feel like he's – I don't know what he was doing before, but I can see him having fun with the sport again. Mm-hmm. What about – again, everybody wants to know about EJ. And, you know, again, like he's – you know, Dewan started the year at quarterback. EJ took over. <sighs> and put up some really good numbers. And by now everybody talks about he's in the building. He constantly works and it would be easy to say, okay, like he had a great role model in Kurt and this father, but he, EJ doesn't bring that up. He's not the guy that walks around and says, Oh, by the way, if in case you didn't know my dad's a hall of fame quarterback. And mm-hmm. he just kind of seems to keep his, keep his head down and keeps a low profile. And then some of the other guys have said, you know, he's starting to open up a little bit more. He's, He's a workaholic. He's in the building, but now we're starting to see like a little bit more of his personality. What is he like off off the field? Because it does seem, from our removed perspective, that he is doing that a little bit more, and he's he's getting bigger, faster, and stronger, and all those things, which is pretty cool to think about from from your perspective. Because he already had a good freshman year. What, what's he like on and off the field, and just being his teammate? Um, I feel like he's the same way. He's a competitor. Whether he's playing chess or he's playing Connect Four. Or he's playing anything. Or he's you guys playing. are playing Connect Four in the building. Yeah, he plays everything. He just likes to compete. Or he's over here running the goal line fades. Talk about he could route me up. He's just a competitor. Even Spike Ball, he's just a competitor, mm-hmm. honestly. And he, I, I can see him opening up. And I know I just got here six months ago, but he's really get, he's really getting into that leadership role. Like today, our coach is on vacation, and he's just really taking over the meetings, really commanding respect and. And it's just easy to have respect when you have that much of a season. But another guy like Jalen McMurray, who can talk to anybody in the building, he's liked by anybody in the building. And we kind of make jokes, running jokes that he lives in the EO because he doesn't leave. I mean, like, you ask me about how he is off the off the building, he's the same way, football, football, football. And you want a quarterback like that. He doesn't waste his time doing anything else. He's just a guy that loves, honestly loves football and just loves honestly watching it. And he's just a student of the game, and you just got to respect that. And you know you can win a lot of games with guys like that. Ben, final question for you. What do you like to do outside of football? I always say to guys, like, I'm sure this isn't the first interview you've done. You played high school football in Texas. You played Juco ball down there. And maybe you guys get sick of – I mean, I know – I'm sure you love the game. But mm-hmm. what what else is important to you? What's something that people maybe wouldn't know about you off the field? What's important to you? What drives you outside of football? Man, what drives me in life, period, it is my faith, honestly. Like, I made sure, like, I, that I put that before anything in my life and just kind of just trusting God in anything I do and kind of just, you know, doing it for my mom because my mom is still back in Africa, kind of just knowing that I have to bring her here to honestly give her a better life that we got. She kind of had to make that sacrifice. So now, in, 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 her, in my terms, it's kind of her turn in about two years when I plan to make it to the next jump to the next professional level it's kind of her turn to enjoy everything and really stop working so honestly god really drives me to do everything and i and i kind of enjoy just you know reading my bible you know hanging out with friends like me and gentleman murray play games all the time and just getting to a lot of a lot of things because i just i you know you always need a mental break from football because right now after after this after we get off this break it's going to be all football for about six months Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to be play games, hang out with your friends and just, you know, enjoy life and enjoy what God has brought you. I've been through this hard journey that to where it's like I, ha- I want to enjoy as I walk. I kind of I kind of want to smell the roses sometimes, you know, kind of just be like, dang, I'm, I'm, I really made it sometimes, even though I didn't make it. But all my hard work is somewhat come into fruition. So it's kind of what I do. 
so your father's here still in the states and your mom's back in africa now yes sir how i mean i'm sure it's got to be tough like how how often do you get to see her or have have, when was the last time you got to see her what's that like um i haven't seen her since i left and yeah it's tough because we're in different time zones she's about six seven hours ahead so when she's trying to call and trying to speak i'm might be in a workout or in a class or even in a game when she tries to call me. But, you know, we make it work. I always remind her that God got us and she always keeps me in my faith and always tells me that that we're going to uh, end up meeting someday again. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, that's incredible. So since third grade, you haven't seen her? Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. I give you a lot of credit. That's a, that's a pretty incredible story. So Ben, this was, this was a heck of a lot of fun. I really, really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see you around the building more once preseason camp starts up. Thanks for making time for us today. We really appreciate it. Thank y'all so much for having me. You have a great right. day. You too, God Ben. Bless. Thanks. Bye. There's some great stuff there from Ben Oswake. Declan, what stood out to you from that conversation? It was just, you know, he, he's an unbelievable conversationalist. That was really cool. Um, but I think the thing that really stood out to me is his relationship with Dominique Bowman and specifically, you know, him working on the little details, because I feel like that was kind of the message coming out of spring practice was, you know, uh, it was a return to fundamentals throughout the spring. And now it's refri- refining the details, making sure everybody is taking those next steps in the summer. Um, so that was really interesting to, uh, to hear yet another person, though that has brought up Dewan Mathis as somebody that's made significant strides in their game, which mm-hmm. I think is, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire a little bit, right? Like with Dewan's size, with his, uh, you know, his quickness, if he can, if he is taking these steps, he could maybe factor into the offense in a bigger way than we have anticipated based on last season. So that was another thing that I thought was interesting, but just hearing how close everybody in the secondary is, how much they trust each other, how they feel like there's a lot of people that can can slot in and different positions and, you know, are learning just in case, you know, God forbid, we know how many injuries this team has dealt with over the mm-hmm. past couple of seasons um, to hear that they are going to be flexible and, and, you know, have some significant depth. I think if you're a Temple fan, that's a good thing to hear as well. So a lot of lot of interesting tidbits in that conversation, but I think those were the ones that stood out. Yeah, no, I think the last time we talked about Dewan, I know Ramir is a little I I don't want to put words in his mouth here. I think he said I gotta I gotta see it to believe it. Yeah, hesitant. Um, but again, I don't know. I think it's kind of a cool situation where, like I was just saying to, to Ben there, I mean, if you're Dewan Mathis, you'd have every reason to transfer down and say, like, I'm just gonna go be I'm gonna go try to be the best FCS quarterback I can be and maybe revive my career at that level and prove people wrong and say, Hey, I was worthy of being, you know, like a top 200, like big time recruit that all these BCS programs wanted. And, um, but you know, he's, he's still sticking around and trying to, trying to make it as a wide out and yeah, EJ Warner will have options there. Ian Stewart's coming back. Um, you know, he's got, he's got some options there. He's got a good tight end room to throw to. So, uh, but yeah, his name comes up again and it really just a kind of a cool story in terms of, well, not, it wasn't cool for him at the time, but a guy that had it not been for an injury, had it not been for COVID, he might've stayed healthy in high school. And yeah, maybe he ends up at a TCU, uh, you know, an SMU stays kind of local down there or a Baylor if he was playing at that level. But that you know, an injury and and COVID affected his recruitment. So he wanted to go to go to JUCO, and like he said, you know, everything happens for a reason. And maybe Temple's getting a pretty good guy that can that can impact that room. Again, you can hear him talk, and he's super outgoing and super smart. So really enjoyable to talk to him. And again, you know, it's uh, June 29th right now. Before you know it, preseason camp's going to be here in a little bit more than a month. And you know, of course, we'll we'll try to cover the living heck out of every position group, and and he's a guy who we're probably um, going to be talking about there. So, um, got some, you know, if you subscribe to the site, got some football recruiting updates for you. Temple had looked like it was in fairly solid position with you know they, they they've been really recruiting again, once again they've been recruiting overseas. Um, they had uh, recruited a guy named. Uh, Samuel Errett from Germany, an edge rusher 
I visited Temple, ended up committing to Ohio University. Um, if you are a subscriber to Al Scoop, you can read Declan's story about Daniel Akin Kunmi, uh, another uh, another overseas player, NFL Academy guy, correct? Yes. Yeah. So good you, friends with Peter Clark. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can read Declan's story there. Football recruiting news is going to be ongoing at this point. Uh, in terms of basketball recruiting updates, you can check out Johnny's story. Um, Temple recently got an unofficial visit this week from Matt Gilhul, uh, very good player from the 2024 class, top 150 guy, 6'4", 11 guy, uh, played at Westtown this past year, and now he's going to play up at Long Island Lutheran for his senior season. I mean, Temple's going to have some stiff competition here. He's got some offers. Um, a lot of schools are on him. Uh, Pitt, Miami, West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Maryland Rutgers, uh, but he's got a really, really good relationship with Adam Fisher. Adam's been recruiting him fairly heavily since his time as a Penn state assistant. So he took an unofficial visit to temple this past week. Uh, we'll have more for you there in the coming weeks. Uh, I think it's still early ish in his recruitment, but, uh, he was on campus this week. Um, if you're an Scoop subscriber, you might know about Jalen Carey who had played at Syracuse and then Rhode Island uh, had recently been granted a waiver by the NCAA to get his sixth year. And he had verbally committed to temple and was set to come in as uh, a backup point guard and uh, everything appeared to be set there. And then late last week, heading into the weekend, Jalen Carey picked up an offer. I don't know where exactly, but I've been told by several sources now familiar with his recruitment that he's going to go pro. So he had verbally committed to temple and was all set there, but uh, is going to get paid to play next year. So that means the Temple is still at 11 scholarships. They have two to give if they so choose. I would have to imagine that unless they get a highly impactful guy, I would imagine that they're maybe going to be looking at a couple of one-year guys there, um, guys that are no more than the one-year commitment, uh, maybe scour the portal again a little bit for 2024. Again, we talked about Isaiah Pasha, who's part of the 2024 class and played at Cardinal O'Hara. And uh, he's going to go up to St. Tommy Moore, St. Thomas Moore for uh, a postgraduate year. And that Matt Gill, who, you know, we talked about Matt, you know, those two guys are priorities for them in the 2024 class. They're the two most prominent names. I think they might, again, be a little bit more portal heavy in 24. And then we've mentioned some of the names from 2025 as Adam Fisher and his staff continue to maybe build out some, you know, some roster depth there and, and future recruiting classes. So again, We'll always have more recruiting updates for you in the coming days and the coming weeks. So stay tuned into the site. We'll of course talk about that next week on the podcast as well. Some mailback questions for you. Oh, a couple of art, couple of other articles, or at least one more other article I wanted to point out for you. If you're a Temple women's basketball fan, you can check out Declan's story on Adina Webster, um, Diane Richardson's first verbal commitment from the 2024 class. Uh, I believe the the her scoring total last year uh, down at Archbishop Carroll, and this is the Archbishop Carroll down in Miami. Um, she averaged 34.4 points per game. That ranked her second nationally among all high school juniors. Um, so Declan, you, you talked to her. Uh, you can check out that story. And uh, again, we'll always have recruiting news for you in these coming weeks uh, for you guys. Going to the mailbag, got a couple of mailbag questions. We'll double check Twitter here. A little bit more of a lighter mailbag this week. Um, the first one comes from, we were talking about our friends at the Fanatic earlier, Pat Egan from the John Kincaid Morning Show. Pat, I don't think he ever got me the the other part. He usually asks a, a serious question and a funny question, but um, his serious question here or, you know, more practical question. What team do you think has the brighter future, Temple football or Temple basketball? I'll let, I you think that's, I'll let you take that one first. Yeah, that's that's a really tough question because I think right now football has more stars in terms of you've got EJ Warner who, if he takes a step up, is going to be a heck of a player this year. Um, you've got guys like Kyle Williams in the building. And, you know, we've we mentioned once a week how much we love Kyle Williams and how cool he is. Um, or how good of a player he's going to be. You, are, you are like, you are spearheading the Kyle Williams fan club. Absolutely. I mean, have you seen him play? He's unbelievable. I'm pumped to watch him 
Um, he's good. Let's just remember he's a true freshman. Look, yeah. yes, he's guy, a true but, freshman, you know. but he's very talented. He is going to be impressive this year. I'm manifesting it. I think he's going to be somebody that you're going to want to watch. Like he is, he's going to be a heck of a player. Um, he's shown me a lot of natural ability that I think, you know, as a true freshman is very impressive. That's, that's why I, I think he's cool. But, um, you've got Jordan McGee, um, and Leighton Jordan, who are very, very good as well. They have a lot of talent right now. Whereas, you know, Adam Fisher just got hired this year, hasn't had even a full season yet. So it's almost, it's, it's a almost an impossible task to tell what the future of both of these programs are because we we don't really know what basketball's future is going to be. We don't know what that program is. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. So hmm. I think by default, I I will pick football. But I would say as a, if you're a Temple fan, you should be excited about the future of both of these programs because I think there's a lot of good en- energy in both of them. I think there's a lot of uh, untapped potential in both of them as well. And I think that saying one has a brighter future than another is not degrading the other program. I think I think they're both going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch in the next few years or so. My apologies if you can hear one of our three dogs barking in the background. I don't know if that's, I don't know. Maybe you can't. You're good. Okay. Don't you, worry. Mike's not as sensitive um, in terms of picking up the barking from two floors away, but I'm not sure if that's Bear, Carly, or George, but. Nonetheless, there is barking in the house here. Um, I think football has the brighter, more immediate future. Um, it would not surprise me at all if they go. And I don't think this is too much to ask if they're six and six, seven and five this year, and they get to a bowl game. That would be a nice second season for Stan Drayton. And you, you talked about some of the guys they have in the building right now, some anchors on defense. Again, I, I think DJ Elliott accomplished a lot with that defense in terms of what he was taking over, turned them in, you know, from, yeah, it's not as simple as I'm making it sound. Jeff Knowles, I think is a very solid football coach, but DJ Elliott coached that group up better. They were more aggressive. They, you know, they led the league in sacks. They also led the league in fewest sacks allowed. That's on the offensive side, of course. But um, I think there are some foundational pieces there. Now you get EJ Warner as your starting quarterback for a full season they have to hope that that offensive line gets better. So maybe Victor Stoffel's better at right tackle. Maybe Rich Rodriguez stays healthy and can anchor things at center. Who that left tackle is going to be, we don't know yet. But I think there's an there's more football has the better, brighter, immediate future. Uh, we don't know what to expect from basketball this year. If the, if 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 the basketball team has a more has a better immediate future. You're going to have to say, like sometimes we say, if Temple's going to be good this year, it's because of X, Y, and Z. On the football side, it's easier to say that. You'd say if Temple goes seven and five this year, it's because EJ Warner passes for 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, normally throws eight picks. That's very plausible to think of. It's because Leighton Jordan is a double digit sack guy. It's because. Jordan McGee is really solid again and gives you 10 or 12 TFLs. It's because one of those corners takes a step, whether it is a Ben Oswake, whether it's a, a Dom Hill, a Corey Palmer, or who maybe one of the new guys. Um, I thought it was interesting. He mentioned Caleb Barnett has popped him a little bit. Another guy, um, granted he came from the Bahamas, but relatively new to football. But I think football's a little closer for basketball, it would have to be because, like, the yeah, Temple took a huge step forward in basketball this year because Steve Settle it really, really reached his untapped potential because Jordan Riley took a huge step forward coming out of Georgetown because Jaleel White regained his confidence because Heisier Miller really learned to finish around the basket. There are a lot more ifs, and I'm not saying that those guys – aren't capable of those things, but I think there were fewer question marks for football than they are for basketball. So, but I agree with you. I think both those coaches, Stan Drayton and Adam Fisher, they both get it. I know that sounds cheesy, but I think both guys are cut out to be 
coaches in their respective sports in 2023. I think Fish gets what he needs to do in terms of being available, being ready, being energetic. Hey, what, you need me to go talk to a donor. You need me to go try to energize the fan base at this event. You need me to hit the recruiting trail real hard. I, I think he his energy, his passion, his mindset, the way he carries himself is built for, you know, it's the blueprint you're looking for in terms of the makeup of, of a college basketball coach in 2023. Stan Drayton, we've talked about before. I, I think he, he didn't play at Temple. He's not from Philadelphia. He did coach briefly at, at Penn and uh, and at Villanova. And he knows this area a little bit, although he spent most of his time outside of the area. But I think he gets it. And this staff gets it. Again, They so much more than Rod Carey's staff. They know that you have to really wrap your arms around these guys, embrace what Temple is. So I think both guys get it. I just think football is maybe a couple of steps ahead. But as always, we'll see. Um, another football basketball comp question here in the mailbag from Off the Hook 3 is the Twitter handle here. So this is a Twitter question. Two-part question. Number one, given the conference realignment, would it be bad if Temple football finished 500 this year? And the second part, similarly, would it be bad if Temple basketball finishes with a 500 conference record? Number three, which is worse? So I guess it was a three-part question. So let's reread this again. Given conference realignment, would it be bad if Temple football finished 500 this year? So I guess he's essentially saying here, given conference realignment and given that Temple wants to try to put its best foot forward, would it be bad if Temple football finished at 500? This year, um, I don't know if it would necessarily be bad. I think it would kind of just be like a little bit of like a soft, moderate, underwhelming step. You know, I mean, again, a lot has to come together for an institution to be favorably positioned for conference realignment. It's winning. It's your donor base. It's I just feel like they keep moving the goalposts every year. You know, it's. Is it how much of it is media market? I, I don't know, but, and it's not just the athletic director trying to move the needle. It's the university's leadership. It's the board of trustees, all that stuff. Certainly it helps if your team's winning. So I don't know if it would be a bad thing if they finish at 500. I think it would be better if they finished above 500. I don't know how much news I'm really breaking there, but I don't know if it would be bad, but I think it would be kind of like a, a meh. Okay. It's a step forward, but uh, a a small step, not yeah, a giant leap for mankind. For mankind, yes, yeah. I think it's uh it's very much like a it's like you said, like that is the low bar goal. Like mm-hmm. it's like Ben said in the interview, they are planning to play games in December. Like that that is that is the bare minimum goal finish. So it's not bad because that's where the program as it views itself should be it should be 500 and above mm-hmm. uh, but i think i think you're right i think if they want to make significant noise it's got to be at least a seven and five mm-hmm. and eight and four like mm-hmm. winning most of the games earlier in the year and mm-hmm. then beating the you know the teams like navy where it was right at the end or a team like memphis that blew them out in not embarrassing fashion but it was not great fashion last season so like I think things like that, taking steps in that regard is big for this season. And if they can finish at 500, which I think they will finish above 500, but that, you know, let's see how far above 500 that can be. Yeah. Uh, Number two, similarly, similarly, would it be bad if Temple basketball finishes with a 500 conference record? I don't think it would be bad if, if Temple finishes. I don't think it would be bad if they finish with a 500 conference record in hoops, just again, Again, the biggest question there is for all the for all the problems that he caused chemistry-wise, team chemistry-wise, and look, I mean, I'm not trying to besmirch his reputation, but let's face it, way too many people have told us the Caliph battle was a huge problem for the team right. last year. Where we're not breaking any news there. But he's gone. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's the best thing for everybody. I don't know if he's ever actually going to play a game at Arkansas. We'll see. Um but he's gone and Damian Dunn is gone. And right now you can't say with any degree of certainty that Adam Fisher has that guy that can get you to like eight straight, 10 straight, get you 25, 30 points. Like, like Damian Dunn can, like Caleb battle can. 
Is that Heister Miller? I don't think so. Is it Jordan Riley? I don't think so. I think it's going to be have. I think it's going to have to be a more collective effort. I think Zion Stanford could help him this year, but he's not a guy that's going to come in and score in bunches. So basketball is a bigger question mark. I think it's a little bit more of a rebuild, even though Adam Fisher has said, I don't want this to be like a three or four year, four year rebuild. I want to win right away. But if they finish with a 500 conference record, I don't think that's a terrible thing in their first year. I know Houston's gone. I know UCF's gone. I know Cincinnati's gone, but Memphis is still there. SMU's still there. You're bringing in, you know, you're bringing in FAU, a final four team. Final four. Yeah. Uh, So I don't think that's a terrible thing. I don't think it would be bad. Number three, which would be worse. I think it's worse if, if temple football finishes with a 500 record. Again, I think that would be progress. Yes. Incremental progress. If they finish six and six, you're three wins better than you were last year. But I think it would be worse comparatively if Temple football finishes with a 500 record. Again, I think that's like a okay, but kind of a eh, kind of step. Yeah, I think to kind of jump the gun a little bit, if Temple basketball finishes around 500 or a little lower and it's, you know, some close losses where it's very obvious what kind of pieces they're missing. So now the staff in the next off season can go and be more aggressive and, and understand, you know, how their offense plays out at temple and what they need to go get. I think that is a much better position um, for that program than if temple football was below 500 and had these key pieces that they're bringing in and it just can't put it together. Um, I think that makes a lot more sense for the future of the program for Temple basketball than it does for football. Because like we mentioned, we have no idea what this team is going to look like, how it's going to play together. You know, the only people that know that are in the building. So Mm -hmm. there are just so many question marks around this season as a whole that if football, you know, was worse than 500, then you start to point the finger a little more at them than Mm -hmm. if basketball was because it's just a difference. What a difference a year makes, you know? I've heard that one before. Yeah, I know it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Makes. You heard it's it cliche yourself. for a reason because, you You're know, right. it, it's over and over again. It plays out like that. You're right. You're right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Thank you very, very much to Ben Oswake for joining us and spending as much time as he did with us. Hope you guys are all doing well and enjoying your summer. We'll talk to you next week. 